Hey, what's up, guys? Welcome to the Strength Connection Podcast. I'm your host, Michael Kurkowski. I'm so grateful that you can join me today. Dr. Nate Zinzer is a renowned performance psychologist who's taught three generations of soldiers, athletes, and executives to master the art of confidence and mental toughness. He was the director of the performance psychology program at West Point since 1992, where he helped prepare cadets for leadership in the United States Army. Along with that, he's personally mentored professional athletes in the NFL, NHL, and Olympic champions. And he's the author of The Confident Mind, one of the best books I've personally read on mindset. So it's an honor to host Dr. Zinser on the show today. The array of topics we dove into was incredible. I know you'll get a ton out of this conversation. So with that, we'll get right to it. If you like this episode, you want to show the podcast some love, please rate and review it wherever you're listening. And don't forget to subscribe. You can catch all new episodes that are dropped every single week. All right, with that, we'll get to it. Thank you very much. Now let's get on with the show. What's up, everybody? Welcome to the podcast. And Dr. Nate Zinzer, thank you so much for taking the time. I'm really excited to chat with you, so I appreciate it. Thank you. Uh, this is a great opportunity, Mike. I'm delighted to be with you today. Yeah, and you're coming from West, from West Point area, right? Yes, I uh, live right across the river from West Point on the mm-hmm. east side of the Hudson River. Um, been here for over 30 years uh, since wow. I first started at West Point back in uh, the summer of 1992. Okay. And you're still working there, right? Um, I'm technically retired from a full-time position there, um, but I still work with a couple of the teams and I still reach out to uh, many of the cadets and many of the cadets are still reaching out to me. Uh, for uh, sure. <laughs> I'm so, sure. I'm, so I'm still deeply connected to the institution um, emotionally, but not uh, technically or organizationally. No doubt. Well, 30 years in a space, you just, those relationships don't go away, you know, quickly from there. I'm sure it's still very deeply connected. I have to say, I've been to West Point a few times from uh, like tournaments growing up playing baseball and softball. It, it is the most gorgeous campus I've ever been on in my life. Well, you, you must have been there, um, Mike, during months of like April and May. Yes. When the, when the, gr- the grass is green, the, the trees are flowering. Um, right now we're recording this podcast, uh, first week in February. Mm-hmm. Um, it's rather cold. Um, yes. <laughs> the skies tend to be gray. Um, the buildings at West Point are all built with this gray castle like granite. Mm-hmm. Um, and the cadets wear a gray as for class uniform. So, oh, wow. a week. so between the gray sky, the gray buildings, the gray dress, the cold temperatures, um, <laughs> cadets endure this time of year what is known as the gloom period, uh, mm-hmm. and they got to tough it out through their very demanding class schedule, their very demanding training yeah. schedule, and you know for the uh, intercollegiate athletes at West Point, you know our winter sports are still um, in full swing, and our spring sports are starting up. So mm-hmm. it's it, it's a demanding time that requires you know, some real diligence and real focus on um, the mm-hmm. part of these great young men and women. Yeah, no doubt. Yes, yeah, as, as you're speaking, I remember it was always in like the summertime because we were doing summer tournaments and the landscape is everything beautiful. <laughs> yeah, I'm I'm from Saratoga Springs area, so I understand the gray up yeah, there. I'm not there too far go. over there. So, well, I mean, with people who uh, might not know you um, with uh, West Point and your what did you do over there at West Point? Uh, I was the director of a rather unique performance psychology program that was seated under the dean's um, command structure. 
So even though I did sports psychology advising to a lot of inter of the of West Point intercollegiate athletes, I was technically working for the dean of the academic board, um, and that enabled me to provide training and get resources to provide training for all 4,000 cadets. Mm. Um, West Point is a leadership institution. The young men and women who graduate every year are required to um, serve as second lieutenants in the Army for a minimum of Mm -hmm. five years. And so while West Point historically has done a great job teaching um, the mechanics of leadership, the mechanics of soldiering, the physical, technical, and tactical training. Um, Back 30 plus years ago, a visionary colonel working in our psychology department said, maybe we ought to be really working on some of these intangibles of Mm. human performance. Um, What I have come to euphemistically refer to as the psychology of kicking ass. Okay. (laughs) Pardon my language, because again, this is the United States Army. We are in the ass-kicking business. Yes, um, very much so. so. So the same skills that professional athletes, Olympic athletes use in order to ensure that they are confident, focused, composed during their moments of intense performance, most of these skills are immediately transferable to the military leadership context. Mm. So... Um, it was uh, this visionary colonel's uh, idea that we, sh- we, could, we could produce a program and we could institutionalize it throughout West Point so that everybody graduating really understood a little bit about the psychology of confidence, the psychology right. of focusing amidst distraction, the whole psychology of retaining your energy and recovering your energy despite having to put out a lot of energy in a demanding military environment, in a demanding mm-hmm. academic environment, uh, in a demanding athletic context. Um, so I was charged with the leadership of this program for 30 years. Um, mm-hmm. I think we did a heck of a good job. No doubt. Absolutely. And it's interesting because the, the term, you know, confidence, I think is so interesting. And I have your book right here, The Confident Mind, which I've been diving into, as I said, I have a few pages uh, left, but really enjoyed the book. I've I've always loved learning in general, but the way that you describe some examples from just from military that you worked with, but as well as professional athletes and just normal people that are going in and trying to expand their businesses, trying to expand their careers or their families. Like confidence is something that it seems like we all aspire to have more of at a time. Um, so that's, it's really interesting. Um, topic I want to dive into uh, with you here. So I want to show, I want to, I have to share a a story uh, with you because I know you worked with Eli Manning uh, for a bit and he wrote a great uh, uh, piece in the beginning of your book here, but it's so funny. I remember being a Giants fan, you know, it's where Giants and Patriots, which is where I'm from area around Saratoga Springs. There's some Jets fans and Bills fans around, but I remember back in like 2011 and there was a interview with Eli Manning and they asked him like, do you believe that you're an elite quarterback? And he said like, yes, I believe I am. And they said, well, would you put your, would you put yourself in the same category as Tom Brady? And he's like, yeah, I think I belong with those guys. And the media would have thought that he just said that he worshiped the devil and it spawned so many different conversations and debates with me and my Patriots friends 
of Eli Manning versus Tom Brady. And then I realized you're a big part of the reason why we had all those debates is your work with Eli Manning. So I, I remember that so vividly and it was so cool to hear that at the beginning of the book. And, and when those debates erupted uh, in the blogosphere as they did in August of 2011, uh, I just sat back and smiled <laughs> because look, if you are Eli Manning and you are in, on a field with 80,000 people every Sunday afternoon and millions more watching on TV, you have to believe that you're as good as anybody else yeah. out there mm -hmm. or you invite doubt, resultant muscle tension, and the resultant mediocrity into your game. Mm. Every quarterback has to believe that if he is indeed serious about playing as well as he can play. And mm -hmm. indeed, everybody on the field needs to feel that way if they're going to play as well as they can play. And right. it's not just quarterbacks. It's not just NFL folks. It's as you pointed out, if you're an entrepreneur, if you're a doctor, if you're a stay-at-home mom, for Pete's mm -hmm. sake, <laughs> you know, you better have the conviction that I'm good at this. I may not be perfect at it. I can always learn more, but I'm really good at this. And when you have that certainty, mm -hmm. you perform more or less naturally and unconsciously. And that allows everything that you actually have the talent and the training and the ability to do to find expression day by right. day, hour by hour. Um, so it was wonderful to see oh, yeah. Eli Manning just sort of reply matter of factly. Um, yeah, I believe I am. He, he didn't, he wasn't pounding his chest. He wasn't, you know, trying to make a um, publicity point. He was just being an honest, competitive, confident guy in the moment. Right. And he had learned how important that was. And he had been practicing that for a long time. Mm -hmm. um, and I think his body of work speaks for itself. Yeah, that's, that's so interesting you said it because I think that speaks to the authenticity of what confidence is, right? I think there's a lot of misconceptions about what that is because you see, you know, some braggadocious type people like, you know, old like Muhammad Ali, you know, growing up and he was very outspoken with his confidence. And, but, you know, you said, say somebody like Eli Manning or Drew Brees that you use in the book as well, like very more stoic in there. Like that's just the same amount of confidence in there. You don't have to be, one person versus the other you just need to be you, you need, and really you, you need to be you and and you really raise an important point about the misconception that confidence equals you know outspoken bragging and calling attention to oneself mm. no that's that's just boasting confidence is how you feel about yourself on the inside and you mm -hmm. can be a very quiet respectful polite person on the outside, and but on the inside, believe as Eli Manning expressed that you're as good as anybody in in the field. Yeah, um, Muhammad Ali certainly took a lot of uh, heat for mm -hmm. being outspoken. He was an outspoken, extroverted personality. Um, we've seen other people in the world of sports, especially uh, coming from that same uh, perspective. Um, Joe Namath, uh, mm. the, the Hall of Famer from the Jets. 
Um, more recently, Deion Sanders, um, Conor McGregor, mm -hmm. Ronda Rousey, Richard Sherman. These are outspoken people who had the inner confidence, but who expressed it um, very directly and very personally out in interviews to the world. Mm -hmm. And most and, and a lot of people um, are uncomfortable hearing somebody right. speak that powerfully and boastfully about themselves. Um, mm -hmm. Sometimes that outward boastfulness can be a cover-up for a lack yes. of the mm -hmm. true internal confidence. That does happen. Mm -hmm. But, you know, I think in the case of, you know, Ali, Namath, McGregor, Rousey, Sanders, um, they were truly confident individuals mm. who just happened to be outspoken, yeah. who happened to be very, very, very extroverted. And they didn't mind sharing how they felt about themselves with the world. Other people like the Manning brothers, Serena Williams, Venus Williams, and, and Drew Brees, mm -hmm. they're, they're just naturally more introverted, naturally more uh, quiet. Mm -hmm. It's not their nature to call attention to themselves. But right. The common denominator, and every, what everyone really has to understand is, it's how you think about yourself. It's how you think about your degrees of competence. It's how you think about yourself, the work or the game that you're in, and all the things that happen in that game. That is what matters. That's what makes right. confidence. Whether you choose to share it with the world, that's another question altogether. Yeah, that seems like it's more of your different personalities. But as you said, like the common denominator is what they felt within themselves in their own mind, because that's what came out in their actions, right? It's yes, like, exactly. you know, Con Conor McGregor is, you know, a great example of it because he's very outspoken with it, but he backed it up over and over. So you could think of him as maybe cocky or arrogant. And sometimes that can feel that way. And it seems like too, in our culture, like it, that's almost seems like everybody wants to subdue that. Like, don't be outspoken about these mm -hmm. things, but once you back it up and you like, actually like kind of put your money where your mouth is, where, you know, the, the best example of it, then it's like, okay, there's something different going on here. But there was another piece of that, um, with Eli Manning that I love that you uh, described in the book of after they won the Super Bowl in 2012 and they asked him because he threw that great pass to Manningham on the side. It was like a 40 yard bomb that started the game winning drive. And I forget who asked him, but said, like, do you think about your like a mistake, like making a mistake at that yeah. time? And he's like, yes. no, it's like you put that out of your mind. Like you think of all the times that you did game winning drives. And what I remember from being such a big Giants fan is everybody remembers Eli from that year when he won the Super Bowl, but he had more game-winning drives in the regular season that year as well than I think any other time in his career of coming back and winning regular games. So, and he said, you can kind of misremember those mistakes. And that's one of those misconceptions. People think, oh, the team that makes the least amount of mistakes is the one that wins. It's like, that's actually a poor mindset when we're talking about confidence, right? That 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 is a very poor mindset, you know, for that, um... ESPN radio interviewer to say, well, do you think about failure at a moment like that? At a moment like that in a, you know, key performance situation, do you think about failure? Do you think about the ramifications of failure? That was, that's the exact question. Do you consider the ramifications of failure at a time like that? And Eli very politely said, heck no. Um, mm -hmm. That's the wrong thing to do right. at a moment like that. At a moment like that, you want to be thinking about all the times you have done something similar successfully. 
You want to mm. recall, in, in the case of Eli Manning, all your game-winning fourth-quarter drives. That's what you want to be remembering and filling yourself with as you step up into that situation, as you step onto that stage, as you mm. step into that spotlight. Um, boy, you completely shove out of your mind any memory of having failed. And, and let's face it, Eli Manning and the New York Giants did fail mm -hmm. with some fourth quarter come from behind drives several times over the course of that season. But they had also succeeded in come from behind fourth quarter mm -hmm. drives that season. And it's a question of which of those things they chose to basically live in their mind. And Eli said, you know, you misremember the, the failures. You remember the successes. And that's the feeling. That's right. the feeling when you, depending on your default memory and your default um, self-talk, you're going to create a certain emotional state, a certain feeling. You're going to create mm -hmm. fear, doubt, worry on one hand, or trust, belief, confidence on the other hand. Um, right. And Eli and so many other great performers in any walk of life understand that if I think a certain way, I'm going to feel a certain way. Right. And if I feel a certain way, I'm much more likely to execute and perform well. So I'm going right. to be in control of my thoughts. That's mm. my responsibility. Yeah. In your career of working with, um, you know, athletes, high performers and cadets, is that more, do people normally come in when you first connect with them and they're thinking the opposite way? We're focusing more on the negative side versus the positive and this needs to be a learned state it seems like the the negative things almost like come up in our mind in bold letters more like as a threat versus the positive like it's very easy to you can read a thousand positive comments about you but then you get that one negative or two negative in there and you'll stew about that a lot does it seem like this is almost going against the grain of normally what our mind wants to do um in a lot of cases, Michael, absolutely, all right? Um, I think biologically, we as human beings all have a little bit of a negativity bias because mm -hmm. our lives as primitive, pre-technological, pre-agricultural hunter-gatherers was very uncertain. Yes. You know, we, we weren't all that certain about finding clean water, finding food supplies, getting through the winter, whether our children would, would, would whether our wives would actually survive childbirth, you know, um, in pre-technological, pre-agricultural, primitive uh, uh, situations. Mm -hmm. so, so there's a little bit of, you know, looking over our shoulder that's kind of built into our biology. Um, I will hasten to add that there was also an optimism bias built into our biology as well because we survived mm. as a species over hundreds of thousands of years right because we could look forward to the future we could think yeah we will find the herd of deer or we will find the 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 grove of trees that will provide us with shelter mm. you know I, I think we can do this and and so both of those um instincts if you will both of those impulses are built into us as human animals um, unfortunately, what's very true in our modern world is that the negativity bias kinds of get, gets 
differentially supported as we are young kids growing up. Mm. Uh, just about everybody can remember, you know, a grade school teacher shaking his or her finger at you and saying, you did this wrong. You have to remember right. that you did this wrong and come on, straighten up and fly right. Yeah. Um, uh, our imperfections, our mistakes tend to be thrown at us quite a lot. So I think that there is a social influence that makes that negativity bias uh, rather strong. And, you know, as you put it, you know, most of the people that I work with, their default setting, if you will, is to differentially focus on their mistakes, their setbacks, their imperfections, and to kind of emotionally discount their successes and their progress. Because they've been told that if I don't think about what I'm doing wrong, I'm never going to get better. Right. And, and, and that is on, that has only limited truth. If you think about what you want more of, what you want to do well, you're a lot more likely to repeat that. Mm. And seeing as how that's what you yes. want, it makes a great deal of logical sense when you break it down this way. And, and you know, educational psychology bears this out. If we... Mm. If we teach kids to think about good possible outcomes, if we teach kids to think about bad outcomes as only temporary, as only limited, as opposed to occurring all the time, mm. if, if, if we teach kids you know, to have what Carol Dweck at Stanford University refers right. to as a growth mindset yep. in that you know, I am capable of learning a lot. I may have goofed up now. But that's not a definitive statement about my learning ability. The literature is quite clear that if we teach that, kids learn better. Right. Kids do not learn better when all you do is emotionally emphasize mistakes, failures, setbacks, inadequacies, imperfections. Mm. Yet, a lot of us walk around. Yeah. You know, our default setting is, okay, I'm not good enough at this. I got to get better at that. As opposed to, hey, I, I did it right that one time. That means I can do it again. Good right. for me. Yeah. Yeah. It's, an, it's interesting because there, there's such a narrative of build up your weaknesses, find your weaknesses and build them up versus maybe double down on your strengths. Like, what are you really good at? And that will kind of rise everything up from there. And as you mentioned that, like we're talking about confidence, like, it, it goes so different into thinking it's just one singular thing. Like you can be confident in one thing and very not confident in another thing. But what you're talking about is having a mindset of confidence is something different. That's kind of like an umbrella around almost everything that you do. So it really goes even deeper into a foundational setting. Yeah, very much so. Um, specific confidence, you know, skill by skill or sport by sport is indeed rather situation specific, mm-hmm. you know. Um, there are people who have great confidence in their serve and volley game, um, right. but they're petrified about trying to hit a cross-court backhand. Um, that's the bad news. The good news right. is, that, is that just as you learned to be confident in your serve and volley game, you can learn mm-hmm. to be confident in your cross-court backhand. It's going to take some effort and some awareness on your part, um, mm-hmm. but you can cultivate that. Um, and I think there is a, you know, there's a lot of value in cultivating a 
as you put it, sort of general umbrella of okayness about oneself. Yeah. I right. can learn. I yeah. can grow. Let's, what are my opportunities today? Mm. Let's take advantage of those. Yeah. So building that up, like that's one thing that you talked about a lot in your book of building up your kind of mental bank account and looking at these things in the past, the present and the future. I'd love you to break this down a bit because I think it's so fascinating. So when you when you go into this and if somebody's talking to you, say, oh, I'm not confident in this, is it important? Like, do you look at the past first and then go to the present future? Like, do you, should you go in that order or does it not matter as much? Um. I'm not sure it matters which order you go in, whether you're really investigating your your thought processes about your past versus your present state versus your desired futures. Um, but I do think eventually you got to co- you, you got to cover them all. Yeah. Um, um, usually, when people come to me, they can recount, "Well, I I messed up this." They're talking about mm. something in the past, you know, and because I messed up something in the past. Now I'm not feeling very certain or very confident in myself. Um, so we have to tweak, adjust their habitual thought process about their past performance, their past experience, mm-hmm. um, so that they can benefit from, well, the time is that they did it right, you know, Right, and, and and that helps them step away from the sort of habitual uh, understanding that oh, I'm not good at something now because I goofed it up then. Okay, mm. all right. So let's let's maybe look at the progress you've made over your years. Let's look at some of your highlights. I mean, if we could if we could create an ESPN highlight reel of your entire career up to this point, would there be some highlights? And everybody says, yeah, you know, if you dig deep enough, you find them. Mm -hmm. Uh, And then on the basis of that, you know, you can actually say to yourself, okay, I am, you know, 80% on target, you know, at the, Mm -hmm. at the, at the free throw line, you know, I average this many points per game. And then we can say, well, would you like more? Yeah. Can you imagine being a 95% foul shot shooter? Mm, Can mm-hmm. you imagine being a 30 point a game player as opposed to an 18 point player? Mm. What is, what is it that you really want? Yeah. Oh, I'd love to be a 30 point per game player. I'd mm. love to sell, you know, 20 million dollars of sure. my mm-hmm. prod, products per year. Okay. Well, maybe if you changed your thinking about that and from I want to be, or I'd like to be, or I wish I was to, I'm a $20 million a year, a year salesman. Um, mm. It, 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 it kind of shifts you, the tension level inside. It creates, you know, some energy, some excitement. I am. Yeah. Okay. No, okay. So what do $20 million a year salesmen do? Right. It's different mm-hmm. from a $50 million a year salesman. Okay. Yep. If you think of yourself in that, $20 million category. And again, this sort of goes back to Eli Manning. I am in Tom Brady's category as a quarterback. Yes. Mm-hmm. That means I really prepare well week by week. Mm-hmm. I really take care of my body day by day, hour by hour. And when it's game time, I am really 
locked in, present, as opposed to worrying about what the scoreboard says, worrying right. about the fact that, oh, oh, my starting wide receiver is now out, and I got to bring in a guy mm-hmm. who I had limited reps with over the course of the week. Yep. Because nobody expected him to play very right. well. You know, he got a few reps, but he didn't get as many as a starter. Right. You know? But but you know when Eli thinks of himself as yeah, I am in that class. When the twenty million dollar, when the fifteen million dollar a year salesman says, yeah, I'm a twenty million dollar guy or gal. Yeah. He can start. She opens herself up to more possibilities. Right. Right. How do I? That's, how do I? How do I behave? How do yeah. I organize my time? How do I respond to setbacks? And the customers who say, no, not this year, come back, come back in six months, you know? Oh, but I'm right. a $20 million. How, how do I respond in those moments? Right. So, I so love it, it, kind of, it kind of changes you. Yeah. I love the second part you said there after kind of the affirmation, because it's like affirmations. I've looked at it on both sides. I've said some people who say, oh, just focus on the work. And then others like absolutely dive into affirmations. And where I always had a struggle with it was like, if you say, Oh, I'm the best or, Oh, I am indestructible. It's like, well, there's no, there's no identity there at at all. Like it's so vague versus Mm -hmm. I'm a, I, I'm a $20 million, you know, business product or so like that's a personal thing. But then the second piece you said there, uh, Dr. Zinzer was, okay, now what do I need to do? How does that person act? And I think that's where a lot of people miss. Like you can't just shout the affirmation. Now you have to go into actually action steps. Exactly. That, you know, the affirmation, just to keep using this example, you know, I sell $20 million of um, medical devices each year. Well, that's a fine affirmation, but how about I respond to each customer's question with clarity and enthusiasm? How about uh, I am, I follow up with each customer call within 24 hours? How about mm. affirming the actions that contribute toward that yes. desired outcome. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I, in the book, you know, I, I ask, I offer people the, the idea of, you know, think about a skill that you want to have, you know, mm-hmm. you know, a, a great cross court backhand or, yep. you know, a, a great touch with my uh, pitching wedges on the golf yep. course. Mm-hmm. What's a, a firm, a skill that you want to have affirm a quality that you want to have. You know, I handle each of my child's outbursts with calmness and mm. firmness. That's a quality, you know? And then, okay, what's the outcome you want? Right. Yeah, I want to sell 20 million bucks. <laughs> so, you know, affirm the skill, affirm the quality, affirm the outcome, so that you're not just looking at yourself in the mirror and saying, I'm a wonderful person. Right. Okay. <laughs> If that floats your boat, go ahead. But I think you can be a lot more specific and constructive in affirming uh, sure. yourself. Yeah. You know, it was something, this was something I had some struggle with about a year and a half ago. You know, I built, uh, I started my own business in August of 2021 um, after moving It's a hell from, of a time to try to start a business. It was a beautiful time. Yeah. A business I knew well, you know, and I was, I kind of, um, you know, I had a great friend, we were partners and then we dissolved that and came from another spot. But I had a lot of those moments in my head of like, oh my God, I've never been, you know, the solo guy before. Like, can I do this? And 
all of a sudden I had these, well, you've been doing this business before you've managed a team, like you've built a business, like you've done the training, like, and I didn't realize like all those past experiences that I had that were good successes. Yeah. Those are all still true. Now you could just start applying them into what you're doing right now. But if you've never done something before that you're trying to aspire to, it can, your mind can play tricks on you. It seems of like, you can be a great quarterback, but if you never won the super bowl and say, I'm a super bowl champion, you might not immediately identify with it right away. Mm -hmm. So is that one of the struggles that you see with people? Like if they're trying to do something that maybe they haven't done before trying to almost to say that you can't identify with it so easily. Sometimes, uh, sometimes it is a bridge too far emotionally. Mm. You know, they, they can't get behind the statement, um, I'm an all-American swimmer or yeah. I'm an all-American hurdler. They can't get behind that. Um, but they can get behind, uh, I am the top performer on my team. They right. can get behind, I am the, you know, league champion. They can get behind something a little bit smaller that still has some magnetic pull that still mm. gets them to stretch a little bit. Uh, right. And you probably still do the qualities, right? I remember Kobe Bryant had a great uh, saying about that when he was looking at guys like Jordan and magic and saying, these are the best of the best in the world. And he said, can I get to that level? And he's like, well, I don't know, but let's find out. Yeah, like you can do out. the, you can do the qualities of it. Right. Yeah. Right. Yeah. That's what are the qualities that made, Jordan and magic so special, you know, mm. and um, I never had the chance to meet Kobe. Unfortunately, yeah. I would, I would have loved to doesn't surprise, wouldn't surprise me at all. If a whole lot of his thinking was, you know, I play my best in the biggest games of the yeah. year. You know, uh, I am the guy that my team can, that my team counts on for clutch points late in a game. You know, yeah. these kinds of, of more specific uh, affirmations that are based on his Kobe's understanding of what made Michael and and, and Magic so special, you know. Mm. So he's he's affirming that part of himself, which is part and parcel of being great at that Hall of Fame level. So right, that, yeah. that's a very constructive way to think. Yeah. It's, you know, it's interesting. You, you put something in the book that I love the way that you phrased it. You said falling in love with your butterflies. Ah, and okay. uh, I, I just, I love this so much. And it reminded me of guys like Kobe. Like there was a story of Kobe that he used to listen to like the Halloween theme from like the Michael Myers movie before huh. like doing warmups because he was getting into a mindset of putting the Mamba mask on and getting ready to dominate and, and demolish the other team. And Mike Tyson would say the same thing. They asked, like, are you nervous before fights? And I think he said, I'm nervous before every single one. But then as, as he gets closer and closer to the ring, he thinks of himself as a god. And you mm -hmm. kind of, and you, I think you use Michael Johnson as a great um, example of saying, like, when they asked, like, when he, were, he was nervous when he won the 200 and 400 the first time, he said, yeah, when I'm nervous, that's when I'm comfortable. And yeah, that, it's so yes. different than what we're taught a lot of like, should I, I'm, I'm really nervous in these big times or these big events with stuff and how you describe it's like, yeah, you should be. Says, oh, you, you've got nothing to be nervous about. Just calm down. Yeah. Um, that's not, 
that's not really good advice. Yeah. Um, I, I, you know, my apologies to all the moms and dads and teachers and coaches who may have said that to uh, a kid or an athlete, you know, oh, don't be nervous. You've got nothing to be nervous about. Just calm down. Um, mm-hmm. I, the human animal is built to be nervous. We are, we are biologically designed to experience a energy surge prior to doing something that matters, mm-hmm. whether it's something that matters because it's something we really, really want to do, like uh, throw the winning touchdown pass in a game, or even walk across the room to introduce yourself to that very attractive person at the yes. <laughs> that you don't know. You want you want to do that, and uh, okay, because you're doing something that you want to do, something that matters to you. Your body produces a whole biochemical shift, mm-hmm. which raises your heart rate, which opens up your eyes, and which also stimulates the hundreds of millions of nerve endings in your stomach. And yeah. So your stomach flips a little bit up mm-hmm. and down, and you have that butterfly e sensation. Now. All of that is designed to make you better in the moment that you are, that is important to you. Mm-hmm. And this is going to occur when you're going to do something that's important, whether you want to do it, like when the, throw the touchdown pass or meet that very special looking someone across the room. It's also going to happen when you're about to do something that you have to do, even if you're not excited about it right like like taking the chemistry final exam exactly um you know the chemistry final exam for a lot of people has consequences you know they care about their gpa they care about their grad school admission process you know um they want to do well so there's going to be the same nervousness okay think about what the term nervous means one definition is apprehensive and worried which is what most people think. Another mm-hmm. definition right there in the dictionary of nervous is pertaining to the nervous system. Yes. Your brain, your mm-hmm. spinal cord, all those nerves that protrude from your spinal cord and go everywhere in your body. When you're nervous, your nervous system is more active, excited. And that right. is how evolution made us. That's how we are designed to be. Mm-hmm. We would not have survived as a species if we could not have mobilized energy when it's time to chase the deer right or time time to climb the mountain where the particular healing plant happens to be located we we needed this ability to mobilize a lot of energy um when it's time to do something important it's built into us right but unfortunately most of us misunderstand it yeah but the guys like olympic sprinter michael johnson who i mentioned in the book yeah He's come to the conclusion that being nervous is helpful. Yes. So, so he looks forward to it. He says, when I'm nervous, I'm comfortable. I know I'm, my body is getting into a good yeah. place. Uh, and if you read the biographies and autobiographies of great performers across many, just about any um, endeavor of human performance, you're going to find a moment where that person you know, said, yeah, I finally realized that when I did have this excited, nervous feeling, boy, it really helped me. You know? Right. Even even if it has some side effects, like okay, you got to go over to the 
bathroom and get rid of lunch, you know, right. <laughs> because, because that's just your body getting rid of stuff that you don't need. Right. Um, and a lot of athletes say, yeah, I, I know I'm ready to play. Once I go to the bathroom and get rid of lunch. Exactly. Now I'm ready. And, and when they, some people have even said, you know, I stopped feeling that excitement. I stopped feeling that energy surge. And that's when I knew it was time to retire. Yeah. That's, that's when I knew I, I wasn't that's going to be able yeah. to be as good as I needed to be in, you know, playing professional football or, or right, whatever right. it is. Um, yeah. I didn't you're feel so in that. tune with your body. You're so in tune with your body yeah. that you know when there's, it's not a mind shift as much as the physical shift that they feel. Right. Yeah. That's so, so interesting. Just fa fa falling in love with your butterflies, understanding why they occur and just accepting them. Okay. Yeah. I'm yeah. nervous. And this is good. This means I'm yeah. going to play well. Well, I love that. I love that. It was early in your book that you said that. And it just hit so uh, much because I heard this a while ago. I don't know if this is even true, but they said it's the difference between being nervous and being excited, like the same stuff happens in your body. It's the same endorphins, every the same exact chemical release is going on inside your body, whether you're nervous about something or whether you're excited, just the difference is how you perceive it in your mind. Yes, the difference is the narrative that you give to those physical sensations. Mm. Oh, I'm so nervous and this is awful. Or, oh, I'm so excited, this is great. The underlying right. biology, as you point out, is very similar, pretty darn identical. Yeah. Uh, but, but so much, it, it's, your, it's your personal interpretation of that biology. That's going mm -hmm. to determine whether it is tensing you up and making you feel very uncomfortable or tensing you yeah. up, but getting you excited and you will love it. It's right. your personal yeah. interpretation. That's got to be so big, specifically with um, the men and women you worked with at West Point, because, I mean, they're going into combat like in, I mean, it's you can't think of a more nerve-wracking situation where your nervous system is standing on end that if I'm sure like this is one of the biggest things to connect with of yeah this is actually the time when I'm at my best not when I'm not mm -hmm. you know this is actually a good thing that's happening yeah um and the idea that you know once you've played your sport for a while or once you have been in a couple of firefights your nervousness is is, is going to fade away before yeah. the next one. Um, no, it doesn't matter how experienced you are. Mm. You're going to, you're going to feel some butterflies yeah. before every, before every operation, you know, every mm. time you step outside the wire on a mission, you're going to feel that nervousness. It's yeah. just part of you. It's just part you know? of it. You know, it's, it's, it's funny that, uh, you know, I work with a, a company called Strong First with their kettlebell program for, uh, for physical training. And one of the requirements since I did this in 2010 is you do a five minute snatch test, you know, for men, it's a 53 pound bell. You have to do a hundred reps in five minutes. And I mean, it's, it's workable. And as you do it more and more, it's very manageable, but no matter what, it's still a demanding test. Like it's five minutes. You're hamstrings, your glutes are on fire, your heart rate's jacked up, like your forearms going, and you know that. And every couple of years, I would be on the clock to recertify, or if I'm assisting a, a workshop and you have to do this test again, it's just kind of like you write a passage to, you know, recommit yourself to being an instructor. And 
for years, like every time I would step up and it was this time, I'd be like nervous. It's like, and in my head, I'm like, why? Like, you've done this a million times before. Like, why are you nervous? And then I realized it's like, oh, you should be nervous. Like, this is important to you. Like, that's actually good. Like, and I would like try and take the deep breaths, like calm yourself down. And that never worked at all. Like it's, and as soon as I picked up the bell and like I started, it was like, oh, okay, I've done this before. Like it's all of a sudden, all those nerves go away and you're just in the process of it. But you can, (laughs) I psych myself out so much before each of these tests thinking something was wrong. Like, why are you nervous? You've been doing this before. It's like, well, if you ask, you know, Brady for the 10 Super Bowls that he was in, I'm sure he was nervous in every single one, regardless of how many times you get there. Right. I I, I quote um, Patriots head coach Bill Belichick, you know, who says, I'm, I'm nervous every Sunday. You know? <laughs> well, I, you know, how many how many games has he coached? You know, yeah. he's nervous every Sunday because he wants to do well. His performance on the sideline matters. Mm hmm. And so his body goes through this biological shift to mm-hmm. bring up his energy level, to open up his eyes, to activate his heart and muscles, mm-hmm. you know? You know, even though he's not sprinting down the field carrying the football. Right. He's very alert and, and, and turned on mm-hmm. to do his job. And it's the same for all of us. Yeah, no, it's huge. So I want to go back. I want to ask you again about the um, about the bank account, because doing the work of the past and kind of filtering through that is is huge. But then what are like in the present, some daily things that people can do, like they've built up the confidence. Now they're working towards it. Are there specific things you can do each day that you recommend to work with either like beginning of the day or end of the day? Like, what's your thoughts on that? Well, um, certainly toward the end of the day there's the opportunity to, re- to reflect on what has transpired in the previous 8, 10, 12, 16 hours, you know? And if you're going to keep building that mental bank account, you want to take advantage of whatever might have transpired in that mm-hmm. 8, 10, 12, 16 hours, you know? And, and make note of that uh, in a way taking things from the day and using them as deposits into that mental Mm -hmm. bank account. Okay. Where today did I put in quality effort? Where today did I address my procrastination and do something, you know, that I didn't really want to do, but I'd had to get done. And so I tightened up my belt and did it, you know, you know, slugging through the email inbox, you know, calling that, client or that customer or that uh, person in your supply chain to get something done. You don't want to have to have that conversation again, Mm -hmm. but you have to. Yeah. And you did it. And so acknowledging those episodes of effort throughout the day, there could be one, there could be two, two, could be three, acknowledging those, scribbling down on a piece of paper, quality effort today, did this, did this, did this. Okay, great. That's a two minute exercise Mm -hmm. at best. All right. And then you look back on the same day and, okay, what did I succeed at? What did I get right? Even little things. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I actually answered that question from so-and-so. I, um, I hit APR during my kettlebell snatches. Yeah. Uh, I, I really had a good conversation finally with so-and-so about such and such. Yeah. 
Okay, that's a little success. I mean, yeah, no, you didn't win the Nobel Prize. You didn't win the Olympic gold medal. It's not something that, you know, is going to make front page news, mm -hmm. but it's a tiny little success, you right. know? And if you're not looking back at your day for those little tiny successes, what are you looking back and reflecting yeah. on? Yeah. There's a you know, little catch there, you know? So, so we look for episodes of effort. We look for episodes of success. And then we can sort of look at um, indicators of progress. Mm -hmm. What am I getting better at? Oh, I'm getting better at handling this kind of question. I'm getting better at streamlining my workflow. I'm getting better at using this particular software package to, uh, you know, help design uh, new buildings and new yeah. technologies, you know? Okay, I'm making progress at something. So that that very short daily reflection, ESP, effort, success, progress, you know, that's mm. that's a really worthwhile practice. It yes. doesn't take a lot of time, but it bears a lot of fruit. Yeah. It's so interesting. I've, I've been a practitioner of daily wins for a while. Um, you know, my coach and good friend, Brian Grasso with his program has preached that before. And mm -hmm. we kind of said the same thing. Like you don't realize we're always looking for the big, we're looking for the Super Bowl day. You know, it's like yeah. when you win the big thing, when if you break it down, how many days you showed up to practice on time, you ran that drill again that you did. And you think that it's all like the micro, like the small things, but how many actual good things do happen throughout the day mm -hmm. if you take a couple of minutes and just break it down from there. It's amazing that once I started doing that, what I realized too, Dr. Zinzer, was I started to see the wins as they came through throughout the day more. Yeah. Like you'd see it, you'd be like, oh, wow. Like all of a sudden you start to, that's a win. Oh, this is a victory. Oh, I got finally got a chance to talk to Dr. Zinja. I've been waiting for this for a while. This is a great win from here. But what happened afterwards, what you did, it's amazing how quickly you can shift your mindset into seeing those things more clearly. It's kind of like you get a new car, right? And then all of a sudden you see that car everywhere <laughs> that you yeah. go. It seems like it's the same kind of lineage. Yeah, you, you, you make a very valuable point. If um, I touch on this in the book, the idea is if you have taken a, a, a careful, honest look at your highlights from your long-term past and you take the perspective of looking for, you know, the day's highlights in the short mm -hmm. term, you know, you can also extend that to looking for highlights with a very small age <clears throat> hour by hour by hour throughout the day ah so you kind of you know, it, it, it's a way you sort of shift the lens through which you see yourself and your work okay yeah i walk away from a from a conference or i walk away from a drill what was the best rep i had in that drill oh it yeah. was this one yeah. Ah, yeah again i think that's what you want more of mm. so that's something worth carrying with you as opposed to, boy, I just finished that drill and I, I really blew it on the fourth rep mm. and coach chewed me out on the fourth rep. Well, do you really want to carry that memory with you? Why not carry the memory of the best rep you did in that same drill? Ah, right. That's going to encourage you to do what you did better or well, or right, the next time you're called upon to perform that skill, as opposed to recalling 
the one that you goofed up on or a coach chewed you out. And it's amazing how right. many, how many ball players, and we're all ball players to a certain extent yes. in, in mm-hmm. our in our respective lives. Yep. How many players have just cultivated the habit of always carrying with them the memory of the worst trip they had out of five or ten or twenty? Right. They've, they've developed that habit under the mistaken impression that that's what they're supposed to do in order to become better. I mean, they're not deliberately trying to sabotage their progress. Right. But they've somehow convinced themselves through whatever social influences they've been mm-hmm. subjected to. They've somehow convinced themselves that I should be remembering my worst rep because that's going to motivate me to try harder next time. Well, it's also reinforcing all the neurology associated with poor execution. Right. Yeah. Why would you want to reinforce that? Yeah. Why not remember the best rep that you had and reinforce the neurology, the, the thousands of little nervous n- nerve cell connections yeah. that underlie correct execution or better execution. Why right. not reinforce those? That's so I interesting. Explain, yeah, it makes. When I explain it may, this to people, a lot of them go, "Wow, I never thought about it that way." <laughs> oh, okay. Well, maybe you want to start thinking about that way, you know. And a week later, they come back and go, "Doc, this is amazing." Yeah, I wish I had known this five years ago. Right. That's so interesting. It is. It, we almost equate this mental toughness and this like, you know, this resilience when you focus on the things you did wrong and get those right. And it's like, this almost like this quest for perfectionism, like you're eventually going to get to this point where you don't do anything wrong anymore. Yeah. When in reality, it's like, just if you focus on the best things that you did and you accentuate those, like first, you're going to feel a lot better about what you're doing. It's going to be a lot more motivating. But have you seen at all a shift in this mindset in your career? I mean, I know it's been like three decades that you worked with this and stuff, but there's so much talk now about the difference in the social media generation and the difference in self-esteem and self-confidence now, especially with kids growing up. Did you see a big shift at all from even, especially like the the young kids? I mean, 18 years old coming in as a cadet to West Point. Like, I mean, first it's, it's not the easy school to get into. I mean, it's a challenging thing to get in there, but all of a sudden now you have this responsibility in your mind that you're going to be a leader in the armed forces at 18 years old. Like that could be a really big undertaking for people Mm -hmm. to get into where it could be very easy to be like, am I good enough for this? Like, am I like, not like, have you seen a shift at all in mentality or has it been pretty similar throughout your career? Uh, The degree of self doubt has not changed really over the 30 years. Uh, social media has really not facilitated greater self-confidence, self-esteem, self-efficacy. Social media, on the other hand, I think has fed the opposite side of the spectrum. Mm -hmm. Social media has fed that nagging self-doubt worm because what what social media has tended to do is throw out, oh, here I am with my friends having a wonderful time. Here I am at a concert event. Here I am at a nice vacation spot. Here I am doing something wonderful. 
and you're the recipient of that. And you're sitting at your desk slugging through your emails. Mm-hmm. And you're thinking, well, geez, they're having all this wonderful fun. Well, what's the matter with me? Yeah. You know? Um, and I, I'm afraid social media has encouraged a lot of comparisons, mm. um, especially for middle school, high school, college age folks, yeah. where it just gives people another opportunity to question themselves. Uh, And unfortunately, you know, this has, this has fed the, you know, fed the perfectionism that some young people have started out life with, has fed the perfectionism that, you know, has continued throughout their development. Um, And has really led to some, you know, some, some bad outcomes, you know, there, there are young people who have taken their own lives because they simply felt inadequate to the challenges of life. Mm-hmm. And one of the things, one of the forces and factors that fed that sense of inadequacy was all the social media stuff that they got from all their friends and buddies and pals about how wonderful their lives were. Right. And so you're thinking, hey, my life ain't so wonderful compared yeah. to what I'm seeing, you know? I mean, mm-hmm. nobody share, I don't, correct me if I'm wrong, but I don't think too many people share on social media. I'm really struggling Somebody reach out and help me. Yeah, yeah, they don't not share too that much. On social media. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. Um, here we are at such and such a restaurant enjoying whatever. Yeah. So that can feed a recipient's sense of inadequacy. Yeah. Yeah. You know, it just shows how powerful our minds really are because, you know, like logically we know that, well, I, Instagram's not real. Like they're not, everybody's not perfect in that, but all you see right there is the beautiful picture of the vacation with the great family. And it's like, Mm. you're, while you're slugging away doing your stuff and you think that that's how they're living every day. And it's like, even though you, you kind of know logically, well, I know they're, they have their struggles and stuff like that, but you don't see that. Like you only see what they're putting out there and they're signaling out. So it can, it's, it's, we got to be so aware of the mental diet that we put in because you even said like, if you haven't done something before, but you put into your own mind that you are that person, you can almost think, is this delusional? It's like, well, kind of it is, but it can actually put you into the mindset of the person that you want to be. It just shows so how powerful this thing inside of our noggin is that we can yep. create these things. It's it's so, it's really, really fascinating. So, yeah. Well, Dr. Zinzer, this has been a true honor. I really appreciate you talking to me today. Um, I honestly, I love the book. Everybody, you should go out and get a copy of it. It's The Confident Mind that you have here. Um, great insights. So thank you so much for your time, sir. I appreciate it. Oh, Mike, it's been a wonderful conversation. Uh, my best to you and to all your listeners. Um, live strong, think constructively, um, and let's find out what kind of lives we can live. Love it, sir. Thank you so much. Listeners, go follow Dr. Zinzer. I will talk to you guys soon. Peace. Thank you so much for joining me today. I hope you found some great value here. And if you like this episode, please drop a comment and leave us a five-star rating and review. It does more to build the show than you can imagine. And do not forget to check out and join the Strength Connection Facebook group. In this group, I share the biggest takeaways and lessons from these amazing conversations, as well as training and strength tips for pursuing mastery and fulfillment in life. This group is filled with individuals looking to take 
take full control over their strength and it's the perfect space to explore new ideas and to share your journey. And you'll also get exclusive access to the Strength Connection Mastery Seminars. It's a deep dive into the physical, mental, and spiritual training that you can begin using immediately. So do not wait, go now. Seriously, go. I right, much love to you. Thank you so much and I'll catch you on the next one.